0: Sober, I know avdo so mi cammi mi di caro 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 caro
1: Good evening, thanks for coming. Tonight's sheer has been dedicated uh, by my father in honor of Shalema for, for my uncle. Yitzchak Ben Benhanavio may have a complete and complete 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 Rafua. So I should have a complete Rafua Shalema, the card of mamish mamish, mamish, mamish. I also want to wish a happy birthday to Yoel Peso. Hashem give him a Shnas Wonderful, wonderful, good year. Full of mazel, begashmius, beruchnius. Great, great, great success. Beyond, beyond, beyond. On beyond all levels. CD sponsor this week was by our dear friend Isaac Mizrahi. And this is in honor of the Schwartz family. That Hashem should give them tremendous success in all that they do. Thank you. Okay, we're ready to go. So this week we have an exciting parsha. The parsha begins vayetze Yaakov. That Yaakov leaves Meber Shava. Now it's interesting. The rest of Sefer Bereshis from Parshas Vayetze until the end is the story of Yaakov. It's the story of Yaakov Avinu. Um, the earlier parshios the earlier parashios, uh, even last week, parashas told us, is not really about Yaakov yet. It's the story of Yitzchak. And even though we're learning about Yaakov, but Yaakov's life is swallowed in Yitzchak's. But over here begins the story where the Torah tells us the story of Yaakov. Avinu, Yaakov, we know, is the chosen of all the forefathers. And which are the parashios that speak about Yaakov? Vayetzeh, Vayishlach, and then Vayeshev, and Mikates and Vayigash, Vayechi. That's when Yaakov passes away in the land of Egypt. So, when we take a look with a bird's eye view across all these three Torah, all these five Torah portions, five or six Torah portions, from Vayetse until the end, until Vayechi, we see that Yaakov's life is divided into three, three locations. Yaakov is operating. And serving Hashem and living his life in three different locations. Uh, First, he's in the land together with his parents until he's 63 years old. He's living in the Holy Land of Israel. That's when he received the blessings from his father when he was 63 years old. And um, then Yaakov has to escape, but then he returns back to the land of Eretz Israel, and he's he lives in the land of Israel another 31 years. So altogether, Yaakov lives in the land of Israel for 94 years. 94, most of his life, Yaakov is in the land of Eretz Israel. But it's interesting that most of the narration of Yaakov's life, or a lot of the narration of his life, takes place outside of the land of Eretz Yisrael. The next place where Yaakov is, is he's 20 years in the house of Lovan. 20 years. 14 years is where he worked for his two wives, for Rachel and Leah. And then, 6 years, he's uh, working to accumulate his great wealth with the sheep of Levan to accumulate his great wealth. So 14 and 6 is 20. And then finally, at the end of his life, Yaakov spends 17 years in the land of Egypt, the land of Mitzrayim. The Pesach actually refers to those 17 years in many ways, the Zohar especially derives it from the Pesach, that this was the greatest time of Yaakov's life. 17 years that he's living in the land of Egypt. So this is Yaakov's life, divided into three parts. Eretz Yisrael, Kharon, and then in general we can say it's divided into two sections. Uh, in the land, the time that he's living in the land of Eretz Yisrael, and, which, in the land of Israel, and the time that he's living in Chutzli Eretz, outside of Eretz Yisrael. But in Eretz Yisrael itself, two places. And both of them are not really places where you'd like to raise a nice Jewish family. Both of them. Haron, Mesopotamia, where Yaakov went, to the house of Lavan Ha'arami. Lavan Ha'arami is a crook. And he's a dangerous criminal. He's a really, 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 really... He's a, he's, he's a con artist. He's a, he's a very, 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 very dangerous man. As we say in the Agado, we speak about him. About how evil he was. And in general, the people over there, the, the name, everything is always in a name. As we mentioned very ta- many times, that the word haron also stands for haron. It's the place that angers God. It's the place that angers Hashem. So it's not a lovely place. It's definitely not a spiritually conducive place to be the bedrock or the foundation, uh, the cradle of the Jewish people. It, it really, really is not, uh, not not the kind of place that if you're thinking for a good place to raise your family, that that's where you want to do it. Okay? But, that, but the interesting thing is that that's where Yaakov built his entire family or most of his family besides Binyamin. He built in the land of Haran. That's one one level, and then much 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 lower than that is the land of Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is referred to as the lowest place. Rashi says that the the of the Mitzrim, the deeds of the Egyptians, were Kalim were worse, were the most damaged, if you can say, the most corrupt from all the other nations in the world. As bad as all everybody was. The Egyptians are a couple, of, a couple of levels worse in greater corruption. So it is like a, and therefore we even refer to the Torah refers to Egypt as ervasa aretz, which means the filth of the land. So it's a very, very, very dark and uh, 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 spiritually challenged land. So we have Yaakov Avinu dividing his life into three, these three places where he lived. Now that's very unlike the other two others that we have. Our other two patriarchs, Avraham and Yitzchak, where both Avraham and Yitzchak lived primarily as our forefathers in the land of Eretz Yisrael. Even though Avraham Avinu had a very long period of, of time where he lived outside of the land of Israel, before he came to Eretz Yisrael, He was only 75 years old when he left Mesopotamia to come to Eretz Yisrael, as it says openly in the beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha. But that's before we even start telling, the Torah even starts telling us the story of the fathers. So those 75 years, for whatever reason, doesn't count. In Midrash, and Medrash, we learn all about Avram recognizing God when he's a little boy and being thrown into the furnace and so on and so forth. But as much as the Torah's narration is concerned, the Torah doesn't narrate that part. So the story of Avram Avinu begins when he's 75 years old with the epic journey of Lech Lecha. And after Hashem told Avram Avinu, Lech Lecha, Avram Avinu, besides a tiny little stint where he leaves the land of Israel and he goes down to Mitzrayim, Avram Avinu was doing all of his service, all of his avoda, which is tremendous avoda, tremendous service to God. Where is he? In the land, the holy land of Israel. Yitzchak, even more so. Isaac, Yitzchak, he's now allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael. He's forbidden. Last week in the Torah portion, we say there was a hunger, a famine in the land, and Yitzchak wanted to follow his father's footsteps and go down into the land of Mitzrayim, and Hashem says to him, Gurba, Oretz Hazois, live in this land, because you are too holy to leave the land of Israel. So we see that both, Avram and Yitzchak, their service to Hashem, is in a space, in a holy space, which is the way we would appreciate, we would make sense, that which is conducive, these are the fathers, these are the holy people, that are building a holy nation that they should live in a holy land and serve God in a holy land. Yaakov is the one one of our patriarchs, which even though most of his life he lived in Israel, as we said earlier, 94 of, Yaakov's, of the years of Yaakov Avinu is in the land of Eretz Yisrael, but still we find that there's a tremendous focus on Yaakov Avinu's time outside of the land of Israel. In a sense, we can say that he is the most accomplished when he's outside of Eretz Yisrael. Where do we see that? In Haran is where Yaakov builds his family. And that's his primary job. His primary job is to build what we call the Shvatim, the tribes, the tribes of Israel. He's building the structure of base Yisrael, the Jewish home is being built up. The Jewish people, in a sense, are becoming a people through Yaakov, until then it's individuals. By Yaakov already, it's already a, it's already a, it's, it's a serious family that's already the seeds of the people. And where does Yaakov do that? Not in Eretz Yisrael, outside of Eretz Yisrael, and a place antithetical to Eretz Yisrael, a place antithetical to holiness. That's during the time of Haran and then the end of Yaakov Avinu's life, eight seventeen years. Mentioned earlier that. That's gematria, I didn't mention this today, but it's gematria tov, it's gematria good. And the, the Balaturim says, because those were the Yaakov Avinu's 17 best years. And so the Zohar speaks about how Yaakov Avinu was in a state of the highest spiritual accomplishments when he, of, when he was in the land of Mitzrayim. And we also know that the conclusion of a person's life, everything goes after the conclusion. The siyum, always we make a very big deal about the Sium, about the conclusion. And it says that when a tzaddik, the last moments of his life is when he reaches the zenith, he reaches the ultimate perfection of perfection. And when the Nishama leaves the body and ascends on high, it accumulates every mitzvah, every good deed, all the holiness that the tzaddik has created in this world is suddenly accumulates together to create a fireball, a powerful, powerful illumination throughout all the worlds, and all that holiness rises much more than what what is happening during the individual moments of the tzaddik. Because now it's all in a state of accumulation, and it's all rising upward, and finally, it causes a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous download of unbelievable godliness that comes down, pouring into the creation, into the world, as a result of the tzaddik service. That happens when? when the tzaddik leaves the world. Now let's take a look at Yaakov Avinu, so Yaakov's conclusion of his life, even though we know that on a deeper level Yaakov never died, as the the Gemara says, Yaakov Avinu lo'y meis, that Yaakov didn't die, but some aspect of departure of soul and body did occur on some level, which the Torah discusses discusses in Parshas Vayechi, so the power of the yurt site, the power of the passing away, is there by Yaakov as well, and where does it happen in the land of Egypt? So we see that what that the two most important and most potent moments in Yaakov Avinu's life is not when he's in the land of Eretz Yisrael, but rather when he's outside, when he's in Chutzli Aris. and one worse than the and in Chutzli Aris itself, two very dark places, and one worse than the other. In Charan is where Yaakov the Vinu, does a major, major accomplishment. He builds his family. He gets married and he builds a Jewish home. And he builds the future of the Jewish people. And in Mitzrayim, the darkest, ugliest, most spiritually depraved place in the world is where Yaakov reaches the climax of his service and the seum of his life and his holy neshama rises upward and therefore creates that magnificent glow of godliness in this world and Davka Yaakov so we need to understand this why Dafka Yaakov and in a sense it really 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 seems like perhaps it should have been the opposite that Avram and Yitzchak's lives should have been more interwoven with 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 being outside of with periods of time outside of the land of Israel outside of Eretz Yisrael and Yaakov should have Dafka been in Eretz Yisrael why? One of the major differences between Yaakov and our other fathers, and Avram and Yitzchak, is that by Avram Avinu and Yitzchak, we find that even though they were perfect tzaddikim, they were perfectly righteous, they still had of their descendants that weren't kosher. They had descendants that were, that were evil. From Avram Avinu came the, his corrupted son Yishmael, which is uh, which? Were he, y- 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 was a, was a wicked person. He was a rasha, and from Yitzchak came Yish- came Esav. But by Yaakov Avinu, you know, and there's actually there's a, a statement in the sages, where the sa- sages, where Chacham and where Chazal say like this: The Yaakov Avinu was so special, Loika Avram. He's not like Avram Avinu, not like our forefather Abraham. She emenu that Yishmol came out of him. V'loi ki Yitzchak, and not like Yitzchak, she Yotzam emeno that Esav came out of it. but rather like Yaakov, who all of his children were all perfectly righteous. All of his, tzaddik, all of his children were Tzadikim, and that's why there's a special phrase, a special um, characterization that we say about Yaakov, we say, mitasai Shlema, his bed is complete. The bed is a reference to one's offspring mitosei shleimah means that Yaakov's offspring were all tzaddikim, they're perfect in his offspring. That Avram and Yitzchak seem to have more of a connection to the unholy. Versus Yaakov, he is a tzaddik, his offspring are tzaddikim, he's completely surrounded only with holiness. But to, 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 to appreciate that a little deeper and to understand the question where, where, what the question is that I'm asking tonight in tonight's class, and why it would be more befitting for Avram and Yitzchak to live periods of their life outside, their avodah would be in relationship to the unholy. Because, really, one can ask a simple question if we appreciate who, who, who our forefathers are, Avram and Yitzchak, we know what the sages say that that our forefathers. They weren't just righteous people. They are the Merkava. What does Merkava mean? Merkava means that they are, they are a chariot for God. And as explained in Chassidus, what does it mean a chariot? Just like a chariot. A chariot means a vehicle. Just like a vehicle has no personal agenda. You hope that your car doesn't have a personal agenda. If your car has a personal agenda, it's time to very, very emergency, very, 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 very quickly rush your car to the mechanic. Because you don't want a car doing its own thing, unless already, you know, it's Yemes Mashiach and the car is already uh, autopilot car doing its own thing. In a way that the car, you know, we can rely on the car. That the domain is already, you know, kind of completely fixed and it knows exactly how to drive. But I'm talking in the case before the car has reached that level of perfection. So when the car is still just a car, uh, if the car is not exactly following orders to the, to the letter of the, and, 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 and doing its own, its, its, its own thing, it's dangerous. So the idea that we say that our forefathers, or the Merkava means, hear the words, the, the, the Alter Rebbe of Shneer Zalman of Liadi says, that the, the, our forefathers didn't move a limb. There wasn't one thought one word or one action that was their own agenda. They didn't move a limb, they didn't move a muscle in their body that was not in complete compliance with God's will. They were just just like Hashem's vehicle. Wherever Hashem wanted to drive, that's where they were the vehicle, leading God to wherever God wants. There was no resistance at all in them to the will of Hashem. They were perfectly synchronized and harmonized with Hashem with God's will. They will. That means the ultimate level of tzaddik. We don't say that about any other tzaddikim. We say it about the others that they are the Merkava, they're the chariot of God. And King David, David Melach, whatever, Moshe Rabbeinu. These are people, a chariot. Moshe Rabbeinu was even beyond chariot, but not getting into that. But that's huge, huge, huge. If that's the case, that they are such tzaddikim, how can it be, that means that they're perfect. And if they're perfect, how can it be that Avram has a, what we might call a miscarriage, and he has a son, Yishmael. And and, 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 and Yitzchak has this, so to speak, accidental child, Esav, who becomes such a wicked human being. Doesn't that show on a certain imperfection? Doesn't that show that there's something lacking? Here we say that such perfect tzaddikim, and here there's this big blotch, literally. It's this big stain and this big blotch on Avram and on Yitzchak, because God forbid they have such wickedness coming from them. So we have to say, go a little deeper and appreciate. The sages already avoided that question. Not avoided, but they've answered that question. And when they speak about the relationship of Yishmael to Avram and the relationship of Esav to Yitzchak, in the way that they phrase it, they already gave you the answer. And they said basically when we think about the relationship of these wicked people to their fathers, is that the relationship is that there's no relationship. There is no relationship. That's what the sages mean when they say, Avram sheyotsam mimenu Yishmael. Avram that Yishmael came out of him. What it means is that they came out of him means that it was like a a certain impurity, but it was completely rejected, and it went out of Avram Avinu. And it left him to the point that Yishmael doesn't have any connection. He's severed from Avram. He's disconnected from Avram. Avinu. no relationship anymore. And when it says about Yitzchak that Esau came out of him, it means they went out and they became separated from him. How do you see that? Hashem says to Avram Avinu, Avram is pleading that Yishmael should be a mensch. When Hashem promises Avram Avinu that you're going to have a child, after he had already Yishmoel, Avram says to God, He says, This is so magnificent. This is too great of a miracle. I would be very happy if Yishmoel is going to become a mensch, if Yishmoel does tshuva. And God says to Avram Avinu that maybe Yishmoel will do tshuva, maybe not. Oh, he actually says, I will listen to you. Yishmoel actually eventually will do tshuva. But still, that's not, that's not called your offspring. Ki be Yitzhak, it's a verse, it's an open Pasuk. Ki be Yitzchak yikara zara. Yitzchak is going to be considered your child, is going to be considered your offspring. So your offspring, your, your future is Yitzchak. Your future is not Yishmal. yishmal has been, in a sense, amputated. It was rejected, it went out, and he severed, removed from you. Same is also um, with Yitzchak. Yitzchak has Esav. And here too, there is a certain, he's pushed out. The, 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 the ultimate inheritor of Yitzchak is Yaakov. So it doesn't in any way tarnish, it doesn't in any way blemish them. Because if Esau and Yishmol would still have some kind of relationship to them, would still be kind of plugged in to Avram and to, and to Yitzchak, Then, there is the fact that there is one one, um, poisonous branch, so to speak, coming from them, that would reflect back on them. But since they don't have a relationship with them anymore, quite on the contrary, that was part of Avram's greatness. Part of Yitzchak's greatness and part of Avram's greatness was how did they deal with negativity that was coming, that was related to them. They went and they pushed it away. It maybe was hard for Avram, he didn't want to kick Yishmael out of the house. But Sarah told him to do so and he did it because it was necessary. So he was able to remove it. So Avram and Yitzhak didn't have at first a relationship with darkness, but they pushed it away. And by the way, being that Avram and, 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 and Yitzhak are both our fathers, and as a result of them being our fathers, they, they, they teach us, they give us inspiration and they empower us to serve Hashem. Now we too, when we have certain negative things sometimes derived from our positive powers, because think about it. Avram Avinu, what was his power? His power was kindness. Avram had this endless capacity for kindness. But we know that kindness too needs to be guarded. Kindness needs a certain discrimination. When When kindness goes unchecked, and kindness flows completely indiscriminate, then the kindness can go off and become an unholy kindness. One can become kind to criminals, and as a result of that, empower the criminals to be wicked, or something like that. Yishmal represents the kindness of Avram going haywire, going outside of the boundaries of where it's supposed to go, and becoming a corrupted kindness. Avram is loving, Let's, it's easier to appreciate it with not so much with kindness, but we know that the, the the soul of kindness is love. So when you have love, it's good to love everybody. But we appreciate that sometimes love can become corrupted when it becomes lust, and it becomes a a a a a, a, a negative, destructive force of love. The same is also Yitzchak. Yitzchak's force was what? Yitzchak's force was was uh, was discipline, was fear, strength, and might. And when Yitzchak's might and discipline and harshness, if you can say, which is used to serve God, when Yitzchak's strength and might gets goes a little too far, becomes extreme, it can become a murderous force, God forbid, and it becomes the force of asaph which is wicked. A person needs to know if they have that 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 character a person needs to know how to cut off and to weed off from the, from there from their character when they're seeing that you might have a very good trait but when it's when it's flowing a little too far outside of where it needs to be we have to be able to slice it off i'll give you a perfect example of that a little story of of rejecting it uh, I've I mentioned the story a few times in classes. It's one of my favorite stories. Reb Chaim of Brisk was was a very big zealot, meaning he was a big rabbi and he was a great defender of his community. And uh, he fought against at the time when the, when the, the, the Brisker when the Reb Chaim of Brisk was uh, the, the rabbi, there were lots of different movements amongst the Jewish people that were that were. That were going astray from the observance of Torah and mitzvot. and Reb Chaim was very, very harsh, and he fought against all these things with, a, with a, you know, with a, with uh with harshness. With, 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 even though he was the kindest of people, but he knew when when he needs to fight, he needs to fight, and he fought. He fought that battle. So there was once another fellow in his community who used to also take who took on the fight, and whenever he would see Jews associated with any of these. Different uh, things. He would, he would really, really go after them with a vengeance and yell at them and scream at them. If one of them would come into shul, he would yell and scream. And Chaim of Brisk would always ignore this fellow. This fellow who seems to be fighting with the zealousness of Reb Chaim of Brisk and to, to, to against those very same people that Reb Chaim was fighting against, and he, they the, and this person would also join along in that. And that, and that, and that, uh, and that, what you might say, crusade. And Reb Chaim never paid any attention to this fellow. And this person bothered, it bothered him. So he asked Reb Chaim, he said, Rabbi, I don't understand. I'm fighting your battle. Why is it that you don't, you're ignoring me as if I don't exist? You're not, you should be happy that there's someone like me who fights along with you, who's not afraid of the, of the, of the, of the, of the troublemakers. So Chaim said to him, you know, he says, there are two enemies of the mice. Two enemies of the mice. He says, the cat is an enemy of the mice, and the woman in the house is an enemy of the mice. But what's the difference between the cat and the woman of the homekeeper? What's the difference? The homekeeper wishes that there wouldn't be any mice to begin with she has zero, zero pleasure and enjoyment in chasing mice. If there is a mouse, she has no choice, but she has to sweep it out of the house or get rid of it somehow. He says, but a cat actually wants there should be mice because his entire pleasure is that there should be a, ma- a mouse so he can run after the mouse and kill the mouse and eat him up. He says, nothing to me and you. I might fight the battles that need to be fought. If there are certain things that are not good, and it pains me deeply, but I have no choice. I have to stand up and protect the community. So I have no choice. But I have zero pleasure in doing what I'm doing. I do it reluctantly, and when it's necessary, only as much as is necessary to do. You have the deepest sensation and pleasure in in yelling at people, in hurting people. And if there, if there is no one to yell at, and to scream at, and to, and to exert your zealousness on... You are, you are very uncomfortable. You can't sleep at night because you didn't let out. You know, you'd let it out on your wife if you couldn't let it out on... on the, and that's the idea that I'm talking about. Avram, Avino Yitzchak, both of them are dealing with... Avram and Yitzchak are both... De- from them can come a, some kind of a negativity that can, that can emanate from their service. But the beauty of Avram, or the greatness of Avram, is that he can cut it off. He can realize when that's, that's not kosher, that doesn't continue for me, and that's it, that's it with the kindness. So he cuts Yishmael off. Yitzchak cuts Esau off. Severs their connection. So what's the, what's, the, what's the greatness of Yaakov? The greatness of Yaakov is that Yaakov doesn't have to deal at all with that negativity. Because Yaakov doesn't have any of his offspring that are, that are, that are sinners. All of his offspring are not tzaddikim comes out according to this. That, the, that means Avram and Yitzchak are both perfect. But their perfection of Avram and Yitzchak involves dealing with negativity and rejecting the negativity. Yaakov Avinu doesn't even have any negativity in his entire, on his radar. It's only kosher. It's only holy. It's only righteousness. It's only saintlyhood. If that's the case... Wouldn't it make sense that Avram and Yitzchak that have to deal with the unholy and their service is to reject and to push away the unholy like Avram had to push away Yeshmoel, and Yitzchak had to push away Esau. Yet Avram and Yitzchak, where do they serve God in a holy land? They're living in Eretz Yisrael. Their service is in a place that's where the whole environment is a holy environment. And Davka Yaakov whose mitos o yishlema, his bed is complete, which means there is no relationship whatsoever to the unholy in Yaakov's life. And yet, where does he live most of his life? In other words, where does he build his beautiful infrastructure of kedushah, of holiness and of godliness, in a very unholy place? And the two phases of his life, in Haran and in Mitzrayim. So that needs some clarification. We need to understand that. So to appreciate that, we have to really, really understand the real chidush of Yaakov, the real novelty of Yaakov. Yaakov, the greatness of Yaakov is not that he's living in a world where there's only goodness and only tzaddikim and righteousness. We find amongst Yaakov's children Yaakov has 12 sons. The oldest of his boys is Ruvain. When you read the story in the Torah about Ruvain, not this week's Torah portion, but next week's Torah portion, Pashas Vayishlach, the Torah tells us something, something that happened with Ruvain. The Pasek says that he had relations with his stepmom. That's what the Pasek says. The Gemara tells us That whoever says that Reuven sinned is making a big mistake. That we shouldn't read the Pasek in its simple meaning. That's not what it means. Reuven did not do such a sin. But the Gemara says that what Reuven did do was he messed with his father's bed. That means that Yaakov would keep his main bed in the tent of Rachel of Rachel, because that's who we considered as akeres abayis. When Rachel died young, right on the road, Rachel died. So Yaakov moved his bed into Bilah's tent, which Bilah was the the uh, kind of the the uh, servant wife from Rachel. She's Yaakov's servant wife, but she's the servant. She belongs. She's the attendant of of Rachel. And Ruvain, who is, the, who, is the, who is the son of the oldest, which is Leah, felt, was insulted by that, and felt that his mother's honor was then being uh, disgraced, that there was a, an insult to his mother. So out of a feeling of injustice to his mother, instead of talking to his father, he took matters in his own hands, he picked up Yaakov's bed, and he moved it into Leah's tent. Now with tzaddikim, you don't mess with their furniture. Okay, their furniture is, uh, as we mentioned earlier, if they are a chariot to God, when they do something, it's because that's how the divine flow needs to flow. And if you want to start repiping God's flow of energy into the cosmos, you cause a big mess. So, notwithstanding Ruvain's good intentions, the fact that he started repiping and rechanneling and, and, and with the way the flow of, by by putting Yaakov's bed somewhere else, it's considered a, bit a sin. It's considered a sin. To the point that the Torah refers to it as the fact that he had relations with Billah. he didn't, but that's what happened. So the question is then: How do we say about Yaakov's children that they're all tzaddikim when the Torah says clearly that Reuven sinned? Reuven sinned, and again, even though the sages say that he didn't sin, but there is still, as we said, as we said, even though he didn't sin means he didn't do that vulgar sin that the pasuk says but he still did a sin. And as a result of the sin, actually he was punished. We see later with the blessings that Yaakov blesses his children, that Reuven is deprived from certain blessings that Reuven was supposed to get. Reuven is is diminished from his stature. He's the oldest. He should have gotten everything. He loses out. Why? Because he sinned. How can we say then that Yaakov's bed is perfect? And the answer to that is, the Midrash tells us, interesting, that Hashem said to Reuven as follows. You are the first person, Pasachta, that you're the first person who opened up in doing tshuva. Now, even though we know that there are people who did tshuva before Reuven, Adam Arishon did tshuva, Kayin did a little bit tshuva, there was some kind of tshuva that was done before, but the tshuva that was done by all the other predecessors, uh, people, was a very, 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 very weak and incomplete tshuva. The first person who did a perfect tshuva we did a real, real repentance to the very, very, very end, if we can say the first Baal Tshuva is Ruvain. The Medrash says, that God says to Ruvain, Ato you started with Tshuva, therefore, whatever. In that sense, Ruvain then is a Baal Tshuva. And now we see that when we say about Yaakov Avinu, that Yaakov had a perfect bed, he had a perfect family. What it really tells us is that the perfection of Yaakov's of Yaakov's bed of Yaakov's offspring is not the perfection of perfectly righteous people that never make any mistakes. What does that mean? That when Yaakov creates a perfect family, it's not so perfect. Or maybe it's not. Only, it's not that it's not perfect. It's better than perfect. What's the better than perfect? The better than perfect is that he doesn't only have tzaddikim, but he also has Balichuva. And we know the rule. What is the rule? The rule is that the Balchuva has a certain benefit and a certain quality that's bigger than the Tsadik. The shabalichuva the place where the Balchuva stands, tzaddikim gemurem Inam Yochhilam Lamoid. That the perfect Sadiqam are not even capable of reaching there. Not only they don't stand there, it's impossible. It's outside of their outside of their abilities. They have no connection, they have no way to reach such spiritual heights that the shuva does. So what does that do? What does that tell you is that when we say that Yaakov's bed is perfect, it's not that it includes a shuva. As a result of Yaakov Avinu, including the Baal Tshuva, what that makes is that his, that his offspring, Reuven actually is not, Reuven is not just also a tzaddik, because what was my question before? Earlier we asked, how can we say Yaakov, by him all of his children are perfect? All of Yaakov's children are all righteous, if you had Reuven who committed a sin. So what are we going to answer? That Reuven did Tshuva, so first of all, okay, he did tshuva. If he does chuva, how does he equal towards all the other brothers? So first of all, as I mentioned earlier, Reuven's Chuva was a complete tshuva. Once Reuven's Chuva is a complete tshuva, he's actually a tzadik gomer, he's a complete tzadik, exactly the same like his brothers. Actually, it's interesting, where does the gemara learn out that Reuven did tshuva? Because right after it says that Reuven sinned, the Pasuk says, b'nei Yaakov, The were the sons of Yaakov, shneim osar. In the same verse that it says, "Ruven sinned, the Pasuk says, the children of Yaakov were 12. So the Gemara says, since it mentions in one breath, the children of Yaakov are 12, how, how are they 12? There is 11, and at best, there is someone who kind of repaired the damage that he did, and maybe, no, no, no. The Gemara says, Kulam Shavid, all of them are equal. That means Ruvain's chuva was so powerful and so great that he went back on being a perfect tzaddik. Literally, he repaired everything. There was not even a tiny, tiny little blemish left on Ruvain. His repair is 100%. He's back to the status of 11, to, to, uh, to the 11 other brothers. That's one level. But then take it even deeper than that. Because a Baal is not only as great as a tzaddik, but exceeds a tzaddik, and and rises to levels far beyond, higher and higher and higher than the greatest tzaddik, so Ruvain actually perfects Yaakov's bed (coughs) with a perfection much greater than what Yaakov's bed would have been had there only been tzaddikim. So what does that that tell us? That tells us as follows. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, all three of our forefathers, they were big tzaddikim. But notwithstanding the fact that they were big tzaddikim, they had to deal with the dark side of life. They had to deal with the unholy world. Now here's a major difference between them. Avram and Yitzchak, the manner in which they deal with the unholy world, with the dark side of life, is through pushing it away, as we said earlier. Avram rejects the unholiness of yishmal Yitzchak rejects the, the, the evil of asaph They push them out. The greatness of Yaakov is, he's able to enter into the realms of the unholy and convert the unholy. Because that's the greatness of the Balchuvah. The greatness of the bal is that he takes the sins themselves and converts them to holiness. So Yaakov has a much greater quality than Avram and Yitzchak. Avram and Yitzchak build a structure of holiness and they reject the unholy world. Avram has, has a, a son Yishmal, even though Avram is a perfect tzaddik. But his holiness is not able to enter into the darkness of Yishmael and to have an impact on it. At best he can do is push it far, far away. Yaakov is a chiddush. The power of Yaakov is his, his light, his holiness, his attachment to God is so strong that, that if there is, he has, if there is any kind of unholiness that he encounters, In this case, amongst his children, one of his sons, Reuven, again the oldest, you see it's always happening with the oldest, slips and falls for a moment into darkness, but instead of having to reject Reuven, God forbid, and and sever his connection, Yaakov turns around that darkness. Reuven does tshuva, and not only does he come back and to become a tzaddik like all the other brothers, he becomes a bal tshuva with all the qualities of a bal tshuva, converting the darkness into light, and Yaakov has the ultimate perfection. He has the perfection of a tzaddik, and he has a perfection of the bal tshuva. As we see that in Yaakov's greatness over Avram and Yitzchak, that power that Avram, that Yaakov has in, his, has in his children really is derived not just, it's not only in his children, but it comes from Yaakov's service himself. And this is the answer to the question that we're talking about tonight. Avram and Yitzhak's connection to God was one that did not allow them to overpower darkness and to transform darkness to light. Their service to God was the, the, the rejection of darkness, the pushing away of darkness so that he can create space and build holiness. Avram and Yitzchak lived their entire life developing Kedusha. That's why where did they live? They lived in the land of Eretz Yisrael, In the holy land, because that's where you build a structure of holiness. Yaakov Avinu was on a whole new level. He's the third. Of course, he's building his kadusha on, on, on the power of his father and his grandfather. But he's advancing holiness. He's bringing it to a whole new level. And the greatness of Yaakov Avinu is not only that he can combat with holiness. Well, I'm sorry, he's, he can combat with the unholy. But the greatness of Yaakov Avinu is that no matter what kind of unholiness he deals with, he does two things. He crushes the darkness, he breaks it, And ultimately he converts it. The ultimate power, the ultimate triumph of goodness and holiness in the world comes through Yaakov Avinu. He's the third of our fathers and therefore he empowers the Jewish people with that unique power. And that's why Yaakov Avinu is the only one of our fathers who is going to live his life and and, and his greatest accomplishments. So much so that when Yaakov is going to build his own family, He's going to structure his family. He's not going to do it in a sheltered environment of Kedusha. But Yaakov is going to do it in, outside, in chutzli Arets. Chutzli arets means outside of the will. Aretz, the word arets is not just ge- geographically a land. Arets means from the word ratzon, will, desire. Eretz Yisrael, the, the land itself, has a desire to serve God. When, God, when a Yid lives in Eretz Yisrael, if you're just tuning in to the land, the land desires Hashem to do a mitzvah. So naturally, you should want to do a mitzvah. If a Jew, Has is living in Eretz Yisrael and has other desires opposite of God's will, it's because he's not he or she is not one with the land. They're not picking up the vibrations of the land could be living technically in the land of Israel, but not tapping into the land. The land is called Aretz. It has a burning desire to do God's will. Those people that are sensitive and therefore feel the desire of the earth itself to serve Hashem, so they, that kind of desire flows in their blood and they're filled with passion and want to do a mitzvah. When you go outside of Eretz Israel, especially when you live in Hollywood, The land itself, the earth that you're living on, isn't chutzli aretz. It has other desires. The environment has other desires. It's not holy land. It's land that is outside of the wish and the desire to serve God. And yet what? The person has to fight. Yaakov Avinu's greatness was that he was able to be a warrior. He fought. He fought the lovans of the world. He fought the pharaohs of the world. He fought all the aesavs of the world. He fought all every kind of darkness. The greatness of Yaakov Avinu is not only that he fought it, but also that he transformed it. Transformed it. And this is where we're going to see now an amazing thing. Why it is that Yaakov, not only does he live outside of the land of Israel, because he is the one who has the power in him to overcome darkness and to transform it, like you see in his children. But we'll also understand why the unholy world that Yaakov has to deal with are two levels. One is Haran and one is Mitzrayim. Two different places, Haran and Mitzrayim. We also need to understand if Yaakov's main accomplishment is the conversion of darkness to light, why why are most of his years in the land of Israel? True, his most accomplished years and the most powerful moments of his life are outside of Eretz Yisrael, unlike Avram and Yitzchak. But this question is still, how come the majority of his life is in Eretz Yisrael? And the answer is that there is something very, very important, and something very deep, and very, 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 very crucial to our appreciation of ourselves and the ultimate way of serving Hashem, and our appreciation of all our brothers and sisters, of all the Jewish people. And that is as follows. The Jewish people are made up of three types of individuals. Three types of people. We know that there are tzaddikim, there are righteous people. Then there are in the other extreme, rishayim, are those that are considered wicked. Okay, And then in between the righteous and the wicked, they are the average, what's called benonim. Now the Holy Book of Tanya describes that if we get a little deeper in appreciating what means tzaddik, what means benoni, and what means Russia, it means as follows. It's not someone who's, a, who's majority doing good deeds is a tzaddik. Someone who's half and half is a benoni, And someone who's mostly wicked is called wicked. That's the, a superficial understanding. A deeper understanding, according to the Tanya, is that a tzaddik doesn't have any more. Tzaddik is someone who is good, not only in his behavior, but is essentially good. Someone who has, doesn't have it inside of them to sin. They don't even have a desire for sin. Quite on the contrary, a true tzaddik is someone who sin, anything that's against God's will, is completely abhorrent. It nauseates them. Literally, they get nauseous from the thought of doing something against God's will. That's a tzaddik. A wicked person is someone who sins, even if it's only from time to time. It's already called Russia. We shouldn't call the wicked, but it's in a sense we call them the weak individual. The weak individual is someone who time to time the negative impulses or the negative, env- or the unholy environment entices the person, gets the better of them, and they do something wrong. So that's the Russian. The benini is someone who externally never sins, always does the right thing, but internally they still have a struggle. They have an appetite for sin, but they never sin since these are three types of Jews, and we know that all of our empowerment to serve God has to come from our fathers, has to come from our forefathers, where does the Jewish people get the service, the ability to serve Hashem as a tzaddik, to serve Hashem as a benoni, and you'll say, well, we're not meant to serve Hashem as a benoni, we're meant to be tzaddikim, that's not true. Hashem created people where the highest achievement they can do is be a bain And Tanya discusses at great length are people who can never be a tzaddik. To be totally transformed and thoroughly good without Yitzhahara, only very few people achieve. So most people are gonna have to wrestle with darkness all their life. And then there is a service for people that fail and fall and hurt themselves. But then they get up and they continue serving Hashem, even as a Russia. A Russia also has a unique service of Hashem. The uniqueness about the Russia is that the rasha can become a real balt Right? Someone who never sins can't really be a Baal A real Baal can only be a Rush. So there are people whose path to God is through doing chuva, which means being first the Russia and then doing Shuvah. The question is where does the Rush get his power to serve God if our forefathers were not Rishayim? We're not wicked people. Where do, our, where do the average Jews, a Bainani, get his ability to serve Hashem if our Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were not him they were completely, thoroughly, holy, sweet. Completely, completely, thoroughly, 100% sweet with sweetness, full of love of God. Every, every, every fiber of their being was full of kedush and holiness. What do they have? Where do we have a Bainani? Where do we have a Russia? And the answer to that is Yaakov Avinu. Because Yaakov Avinu's three phases in his life, the three places where Yaakov Avinu lived, and served God, represent and empower these three types of servants. Yaakov, living in Eretz Yisrael, represents the service of the tzaddik, because Eretz Yisrael, as we said, only is that means that the land itself, the very nature of one's existence, is a nature is a nature of, of a servant of God, is a nature of connection. To Every impulse is a holy impulse. Every drive is a holy drive. Every, 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 every uh, urge is a holy urge. That's Yaakov Avino living in the land of Israel. When Yaakov goes to the land of Haran, in Haran you have a whole bunch of Haronian forces. And what are they? Dark forces. This is love on deception, lies, temptation. All kinds of distractions. So Kharam represents the world of the Bainani. What's the Bainani? The Bainani, if we can try to coin or try to uh, um, 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 try to capture the, the quality of the bainani. The bainani has a quality that a tzaddik doesn't have, by the way. The quality of the bainani is the bainani, one word fits the bainani. He's a warrior. He's a warrior. He rages, he wages a war 24-7. And he always wins. He's an incredible warrior. He's never defeated. He always defeats the enemy. Powerful. The and he's an unbelievable hero. Cuz it's one thing to fight enemies outside of you. It's another thing to fight the demons within. Zahara doesn't stop. Non-stop. Living in Chara means dealing with all kinds of corruption inside of us. Desire for this and a desire for that and all kinds of all kinds of schemes that the eats are and constantly crushing it. And we know that what the bain, it says in Tanya, an amazing thing what the bain and he accomplishes that the tzaddik can't accomplish because the tzaddik doesn't confront evil because he doesn't have evil inside of him, doesn't have to confront it. So the tzaddik is busy bringing down constantly a flow of, of great holiness into the world. But the tzaddik is not, is not crushing evil, he's not breaking evil because he doesn't have to deal with it. The Bainanis on the front lines, the is fighting the forces that stand against God. And every time he says no to a temptation, he blasts them. He's literally bombarding the unholy. He's destroying the forces of the Kalippa in the world. Bang, bang, bang. He's nullifying them. Unbelievable. That's the bainani. So that's what Yaakov was doing in Haran. He had Lavan wants to cheat him day and night, and he has to fight him. He has to be on alert. Yaakov says, what is Yaakov's? One of the things about the, late, the, the Benoni and Tanya is how he describes that the Benoni has to be vigilant every moment. Because he always knows, he never know when the yates of hurricane spring on him. And that's what it says about Yaakov, you know, when he tells Lavan at the end, of what does he say to Lavan? That I couldn't sleep at night. I was up at night. I was up, I, was, I was scorched in the heat of the day. At night I was freezing cold, but I, was, I didn't sleep all the time because I was watching your sheep. The deeper meaning is Yaakov couldn't let down his guard for a moment. So even though, let's make a distinction, Yaakov didn't have to fight the internal battle because Yaakov is a tzaddik, but the idea that he's living in Haran where he's constantly faced with an onslaught of of, of forces of, of Lavan, of that which is dark and and, 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 and and angers God that is constantly in his face, is... That personifies the, 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 the vigilant war and the constant fight that the Beinani has to wage. That's the time of Yaakov in Chorah. In, 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 uh, in Finally, there's the last level. And what's, th- and what's that? The last level is the Russia. And again, nobody is meant to be a Russia. And I'll tell you a secret there isn't going to be one Jew when Mashiach comes that is going to remain to be a Russia. The Pasik says Ve his, L'raisi Russia Aret Russia Al Makomo I looked on his place and he's not there. Because when Mashiach will come, Rishayim there won't be any more wicked, not because the wicked will be killed, like some people like to think, that there will be all kinds of punishments and all the wicked will be killed. There won't be any wicked because if not now, then the moment Mashiach reveals himself, all the wicked will do tshuva. There will be tremendous repentance. And everybody will do tshuva. And so, there's no, so no one is meant to be wicked. You belong, I'm Yisrael, part of the holy, holy people of Israel. No one, God forbid, will, will remain in wickedness. The people, the reason why there is an idea, has shown, that someone falls and, 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 and gets involved with negative things, is because eventually when they do tshuva, they make a contribution that neither the tzaddik, neither the beinani can do. The tzaddik doesn't even deal with darkness. The beinani crushes the darkness, but he doesn't transform it. The quality and the greatness of the Balchuvas is he takes the darkness itself and he turns it into a friend, he turns it into an ally. And we know that the deepest sparks of holiness are what enlivel the clip. Now, of course, it's not allowed for anybody, Chas to say, well, I'm going to go sin. That's called Echtov Ashav. I'm going to sin, I'm going to do tshuva. That's no good. You're not allowed to do that. But if Chas a person, has sinned already, and they're in the category of a rasha, the only reason they're there is so that they can do tshuva. And that's represented in the time that our Holy Father, Yaakov, lived in Mitzrayim. What's Mitzrayim? Mitzrayim means real constriction. Mitzrayim is called ervasa it's the nakedness of the land it's the, the most ugliest lowliest sinful place in the world Yaakov living in Mitzrayim so even though Yaakov didn't sin but the mere fact that Yaakov lived in Mitzrayim I, I add one more interesting idea about Yaakov being in Egypt Yaakov being in Egypt is in a sense he was inferior Paro was the boss and he was inferior to Paro to the point that he, needed, he was subjugated to Paro he needed to bless Paro Yaakov blessed Paro and we know that Paro later thought he was a god, He was able to convince everybody he was a god, because the Nile River would come up to him. Whenever Paro would go down to the Nile, the Nile would rise. And why would it Nile? Because Yaakov blessed him. Now, now here's an interesting idea. When a person sins, what do they do? God forbid. They empower the unholy. They give strength to the unholy. That's the real problem with a sin. We're channeling energy to the unholy. In a sense, when Yaakov had to bless Paro, Again, it wasn't bad. Yaakov did no; it wasn't considered a sin on Yaakov's part, but spiritually it has that same idea of empowering the unholy. And then let's take another thing. When Yaakov passed away, Yaakov needed to bestow an oath on Yosef to get him out of Egypt. He put an oath on Yosef. Showing how deeply, how stuck in a sense, Yaakov was in Egypt. Egypt was such a dark place, it was holding a grip on Yaakov. He needed to make Yosef swear he'll take him out. And even then, you know how long it took to get him out of the coroner's office? Think about it. Yaakov, the biggest tzaddik, third of our forefathers, took 70 days to get him out of the coroner's office. Why? Because it says that they embalmed him. You think Yaakov wanted to be embalmed? They did the embalming for 70 days. Finally they released him. Then they released him. Then the Egypt itself came and they brought him up to Eretz Yisrael. Now it says that one of the reasons Yaakov was so scared that he shouldn't remain, his body should not remain in Egypt, because he says they shouldn't make him into a shrine. They shouldn't make him into a god. He was afraid that they would turn him into an idol. So what does that show? He says, see, that's representing the concept of sin. If, if Yaakov has a fear, that means he's in a place where it's possible that they're going to take him and use him to strengthen their corruption. That's what sin is all about. You're giving power to the corrupted forces in the world. So even though Yaakov is a tzaddik, gomer, he's a perfect tzaddik. But yet, you see, he has a brush with the idea of Russia, with the idea of sin, because he's in that state. And then what ha- But in the end, he prevails. What does he prevail? They don't make him into an idol. Not only that, Egypt themselves, with all their ministers and all their noblemen, come with a massive funeral, and they're all elevated. They all come to Eretz Yisrael to bury Yaakov, to give him the final respects. So Yaakov, in a sense, elevates, and that's the empowerment for the Jewish people, to take out all the sparks of Egypt, and to bring it up to Eretz Yisrael, into Kedusha, the transformation. Three periods in Yaakov's life. And then you wonder, you say to yourself, how can one human being, one person, serve God, serve Hashem, with so many different modes? Here he's serving Hashem as a tzaddik, Suddenly he turns around and he's not... A, and as a tzaddik, he has no relationship with anything, with any temptation, with any desire, with any distractions. He's sitting and learning Torah all day, davening and learning and filling his mind with holy, with holy, with holy information. His heart is ablaze with love for Hashem. He's has this ultimate sweetness, like a tzaddik living enclosed in a little, little, little cobblestone street in the city of Tzvas. No one to bother him. All day long he's just surrounded with other chassidim, with other tamidachachamim. They're sitting and learning Kabbalah, and 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 the esoteric secrets and the and 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 Gemara and whatever else and they're in a state and all he meets is people one person bigger than, a bigger tzaddik than the next the nicest people the kindest people the most generous people every all you see is only goodness well that's for a certain a period of mount, most of his life then he spends 20 years wrestling wrestling literally wrestling with a monstrous evil and then he goes down to a place where, as we said earlier, he has to do the avod of a Balshuva. He's living in Mitzrayim, a place where there is some kind of a grip on his neshama, pulling him into a really, really, you might say, chasrishalim, into darkness. And yet, Yaakov overpowers it, transforms it, which that's the Balshuva. Three different types of service. How can one person adapt? How can there be one person serving God with such three different modes of servants? And the answer is, Yaakov is not serving Hashem in three modes. And this is the lesson for tonight. He's not serving Hashem in three modes. Yaakov is serving God with one nekuda, with one point. The point of Yaakov Avinu is, He me, I am yours. God, I am yours. Whatever, whatever you, whatever you serve me. Whatever you need from me. Whatever you need from me, I am here. What it is, what do you need? You need me to be a tzaddik because now it's the time to construct, to learn a lot of Torah, to engage in meditative prayer, to create a flow, a tremendous flow of kedushah in the world, I'll do that. You need me to battle with the wicked, I'll battle with the wicked. You need me to do tshuva, I'm ready to do tshuva as well. It's any service that the Eberster needs because Yaakov didn't define himself with any definitions. He didn't say, "Mm, I'm a tzaddik. Oh, I am a Benoni. I am a balchuva. Tshuva. Oh, I am a balchuva. Tshuva. He didn't say, I am a bal Tshuva, or I am a Tzaddik, or I am a Benoni. He was just a simple servant of God. And as being a servant of God, whatever was needed, Yaakov was there. That's called perfection. Yaakov is Shleimus. Shleimus said the Kuli, he's the perfect of perfect. And therefore, he includes everything. Not because he has three talents. It's not three talents. It's one. It could have been 20 talents. Had he been in 20 different situations, it could have been... The way God set up the system is the three general modes of service. And Yaakov Avinu was in each one of them. And he was perfect in all of them. And where do you see this? an amazing thing. When, at the end of this week's parsha, when Yaakov is returning from Lavan's house, it says... He comes to a place and he calls the place Machanayim. Right in the end of the parasha, Machanayim. What does he call Machanayim? Because over there, two camps joined together. Which camps? There was one camp of the angels who were with him. We know that our special angels who protected him in the land of Israel, in Eretz Yisrael, and our special angels that protected him when he was in the land of Haran. Two different angels. So it says, when Yaakov was coming back from Haran, and, and the, so the angel of Eretz Yisrael came to greet him. And at one point, both the angels met, and when both camps of angels met, that's why it was called Machanayim, camps. So, what do you see from here? How can you compare the angels of Eretz Yisrael to the angels of outside of Eretz Yisrael? These angels are all about, as we said before, they're all about kedusha. They're in Eretz Yisrael. These angels are all about. These are the warrior angels that are all about to help Yaakov Avinu in his war against the Klippa, against the unholy, against the darkness. And yet, at a certain point, both these groups become meshed together to the point where you can't tell who is who. They're both machnaim. It becomes one name of one place of both camps where they're both interwoven and integrated until they become all one. And the answer is, how is that possible? The answer is because by Yaakov... His, he excelled in Eretz role, and his excellence in Haran and then eventually his excellent service and perfect service in Egypt were not three different powers that Yaakov has. It's not three powers. It's one singular perfect devotion to God which translates into any type of service that the Eberster needs. And if God needs him in this place, I'm ready to serve you this way and if God needs me like that I'm ready to serve you that way that's the ultimate what we call of integration integration is we integrate everything so we look at the Jewish people we see that there's something called a tzibur what does a tzibur mean? tzibur means a community usually when we have 10 Jews together it's called a tzibur and then we can then we can have a minion but tzibur really means any type of a community it's called a tzibur what is tzibur made out of? Three letters, Tzadik, Beis, reish. Tzadik stands for Tzadikim, Beis stands for beinanim. and reish stands for Rishayim. We the Jewish people are made up of three types of Jews. Who are the three types of Jews? Those Jews who are meant to marinate in holiness all their life, they make a special contribution to the world, they bring us the purest holiness that's possible. Someone that doesn't have to deal with darkness, like Avram and Yitzchak, as we said before, Avram and Yitzchak didn't have to deal... But the way they dealt with it was they kept it far from them. So tzaddikim are people that don't have to deal in a sense with darkness. They bring us the purest light. When we want to imagine what does it mean to love God or to see something beautiful, we look at the tzaddik to see beauty. Okay? That's, their, that's their contribution. Then there are those Jews who their contribution is that they're fighters. They're the warriors. They're the ones who defeat the dark forces of the world and prepare the world for Mashiach in the sense of getting rid of the snake's effect, the darkness of the, of the, of the pollution and all the contamination and all the chazarai that came in by the sin of the Eitz sadas which created all this corruption. And they're the ones who slay the dragons. That's their avoda And that's their accomplishment. And then finally, there are Jews who get, God forbid schlepped in they get pulled in they get suctioned in to sin they fall down and fall into really really dark things sometimes very dark or maybe not so dark but a little bit dark whatever it is they slip and they fall and that too has a purpose the purpose for that is so that they can do tshuva and those are the third type of groups called rishayim, because the real on the simple level even though there's tshuva even for tzaddik but that's on a high level but on a simple level the regular sense of tshuva, which converts darkness to light, is, is when you're a chasrishol, when a person is a russia first, then they can become a bal tshuva, in the, truest, in, the, in the simplest sense of the word. So there are three types of Jews. In a sense, we can say, we look at the Jewish people in all of history. We look at the Jewish people in all of history. We can divide the Jewish people in three periods of time. There were times that we were living in the, in the land of Israel, we were surrounded with prophets, we were living in, when we had a base on Migdash We had so much inspiration, we had so much godliness. I know it says the Jews sinned, but in general we were in a place where we can really truly serve God like tzaddikim. Then there were periods in time and history when the Jewish people were into fighting that which was against God. Talk about the period of the Crusaders. The Christians were trying to influence, and to, and to, and to, force their their belief system on the Jewish people, and the Jewish people died al Kiddush Hashem. The ultimate heroes. They fought ferociously for what they believed in. And then comes the last period of Jewish history, where so many Jews have gone astray, so many Jews have slipped into being pulled away from observance of Torah mitzvahs. And even what we might say is from religious Jews, but we know how hard it is. We know how strong temptation is. We know how much we fail. We know how much we fall. You know how many mistakes we make. Yet we too have a purpose because the people that make mistakes can repair those mistakes and do tshuva. And we know that the intensity of the bal tshuva and their love to God far exceeds those that have never had the opportunity to do tshuva because they never went far. And when we do that, we convert darkness to light on levels that our parents, grandparents, great-great-parents could not do. And that tzaddikim could not do. Only our generation could do. But we have to realize that all these three types of modes, whether it's different types of Jews that are alive today, whether it's the general characterization of periods of time, or, whatever, or in each person, if you take a look at yourself, You can find within yourself that there are certain areas in your life where you're at tzaddik. Which areas are we tzaddikim? There's certain areas where we don't have any fight. There's certain mitzvahs that we love doing. And whenever that mitzvah comes our way, we're excited to do it. It's like, we love it. We're excited. So in that sense, there's no struggle. Over there we're at tzaddik. Then there are certain sections in our life that is a battle. We have to fight. But we always win. Certain things that we know, we're never going to do that. I might get a temptation, I might have to fight. But I fight and I win. And then we all know that we all have our one or two little things, or maybe big things, or maybe more than one or two, maybe five or six, I don't know, where everybody will do your own chesh ben whatever it is, in which from time to time, the Yetzirah gets the better of you, and of me, and of all of us, and we slip and we fall. In that level, in that space, we're a rasha. Or better, we're a potential bal We can do tshuva. And we realize that we have the power of Yaakov Avinu to prevail and do the right thing in all these types. And the main thing is, it's not different types of servants; it's really the essence of the Jewish soul. Is ani avdacha ben amasecha? I am your servant. Ani avdacha. I'm your servant. And therefore, on Hashem, wherever God, you send me, I understand. If I fall and I sin and I make a mistake, I know there's a purpose to it. We're not here to make mistakes. This world is too important. The Jewish people and the Jewish mission is too important to mess up. We don't mess up just because we mess up. We mess up because it's an opportunity to do tshuva. It's an opportunity to transform the greatest darkness. We have tremendous empowerment. And in that sense, we take a look and we realize that the Jewish people make up one point. We're not different, we're not fragmented, this type of Jew and that type of Jew. We're all one entity. We're all one Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu is the neshama that includes all Jewish souls. And therefore, he empowers us with every kind of service. And it's all part of one Jew. We're all one Jew. We're not many Jews. We're one Jew. Even though we look so different. And others have different types of service. The moment we start characterizing ourselves... Orthodox and I'm this and I'm that. Stop already. We're all Jews. And, he, and everybody has a purpose and everybody has a mission and a reason for their being. Together we serve the there with the ultimate service. And Mashiach will come, we will see the ultimate machanayim. All the groups of the Jewish people and all our services and then all the angels that were created from all that service will all come together into one ginormous machaneh of holiness. Camp of holiness. The ultimate camp of Kedusha. Here's the thing. When we read a parasha like this, we realize Yaakov's service, three parts, but they're all one. We realize that we're empowered. And what's our empowerment in these last seconds before Mashiach comes? What's our empowerment? Number one. Number one in the section that you're a tzaddik already, be a better tzaddik. Which means, if you love davening, let's say that's not your challenge, you love davening, that's your favorite thing. You love saying tehillim, doesn't mean you can't do it better. Do it better means do it a little bit more brighter. Do it with a little more focus, with a little more energy. You love giving tzedakah, give a little bit more tzedakah. Do it with a greater investment. Do it with more light, with more... Whatever mitzvah is, your mitzvah, that you don't have a problem with, that's your tzaddik, brighten that holiness, make it brighter. In the areas that where you feel that you're constantly battling and fighting, Add a little bit more energy into that fight. Remember that Yaakov Avinu, he was the the one who went out to Haran and fought those battles and he's empowering me and you and all of us to give another punch and to whack the clipper down again and to whack him again and to whack him and whack him and whack him harder and harder each time he stands up against us and we defeat and break the unholiness. So draw, draw strength from Yaakov Avinu's empowerment for you and for me, for all of us to fight that battle. And if you're feeling knocked down, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling defeated, if you're feeling broken, if you're feeling that you slipped and there's no help, and there's no you're feeling you're in Chassar Shulman in a state of despair, because you're messed up, realize that Yaakov was almost made into an idol. His holy body, almost made into an idol, and Yaakov had to plead. And then he managed to transform has Transform and pick up that those very people who wanted to do that to him, ended up bringing them to Eretz Yisrael and elevating it. Realize that your fall, chas v'sholem, and the mistakes that we make, that too has a purpose. And the purpose is that only you can do that kind of tshuva that the Ebershter needs so much right now for something in the world to become fixed that only I, you, whoever it is that's in that darkness can fix. And when we have that realization and we realize that... That the good days and the bad days, the dark days, the warrior days, the beautifully spiritual high days, and the very very dark days when we when we've already messed up and we need to fix, it's really all part of being a Jew, and with a simple commitment and oneness and connection to God. May we all embrace the moments, the, the, the 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 different moments in our life and embrace each other, and embrace the Jewish people as a whole, all the generations together, realize that it's all part of one shlemos, and one perfection. And with all of us together, and with all of our services, and all our challenges together, we create the most beautiful, beautiful, and ultimate revelation, the revelation of Mashiach Keno. May it happen now, now, and now.
0: Ah no, ah no, oh abdo, a berichum, no, a de berichum, de no, Abdo, no, a no, no, I a no, a no, a no, O mi cambie, mi cammi, di caro irayse, me jodidon, veidon jodido. Ah no, ah no, abdo, hoy a mi no te escucho, me rijo Dislaquí de nuevo cambie, o mi cammi, di caro irayse Ah no, ah no, abdo, hoy a mi no te escucho, me rijo Dislaquí de nuevo cambie, mi cammi, di caro irayse